Howdy folks, I am Ed Moore. This is the Newsprint Commando. Feedback can be tweeted at Teal Productions and News P Commando. You can leave comments on Facebook on Teal Productions' Facebook page. I am IndieMan at gmail.com if you want to email me, and Indie is I-N-D-I-E. ComicBookNoise.com slash T-N-C Tango November Charlie is the website. Just another fanboy at freeforums.net are forums. You can leave comments there. Today, I am going to cover all of the books published by Pacific Comics in December of 1981. They amount to Star Slayer issue number two. And that's it. Went on sale December 29th, 1981. Almost uh, an even number of years ago from when I sit recording this episode. Star Slayer was scripted penciled, inked, and lettered by Mr. Mike Grell, colored by Steve Olaf. And our dramatis personae include Torin McQuillan, Tamara, Sam, that's capital S, capital A, capital M, and the Earth Board of Directors. All of these, eh, well, three of the four are introduced this issue. Torin, we know from last issue, he is a Celt by way of the Russian steeps, I believe, or steps, S-T-E-P-P-E-S, steps. Um, his people were absorbed by the Sarmatians, Sarmatians, S-A-R-M-A-T-I-A-N-S, Sarmatians. I've never heard of Sarmatians, but uh, his mother was Celtic. His father was from the steppes of Russia, and uh, he was born in Russia but found his way back to the Celts. So that's Torin. Now we pick up immediately where we left off last issue. The young lady who we find out is named Tamara has snatched him from death. Just as he was about to die his time, she snatched him by way of some sort of tech and has brought him to the future to the 22nd century, I believe she tells him. No, actually, she doesn't tell him exactly. She just, as part of her story, says that at the end of the 20th century, the damage was irreversible. So, we don't know. There are some point, they have some some pretty high tech. I mean, she was able to pull him out of the time stream. Uh, she has been watching him repeatedly throughout his life. So, yeah, the, the technology, the, the time frame is advanced enough that they have technology to do that. But... She snatched him as he was about to throw himself onto the Roman spears. The Romans at the time were conquering England, where he was living, the um, English islands. He is um, coming to here. We see that the first page is a two-page spread. Well, it's a uh, the first page is a page of him being transported. The second and third pages are a two-page full spread of Tamara sitting in a control room watching Torin on a big view screen, but then over to the side is a cylindrical energy apparatus through which Torin is is leaping into fr- from that cylinder, leaping into the room that Tamra is sitting in. He doesn't know what's going on. He's He was prepared to die as, as he was jumping onto the spears. He knew that's what would happen. So he's wondering, is he in heaven? Is he in hell? Who is she? Where am I? He immediately attacks her. Uh, as he's running across the room, she presses a button and a blaster rises up from the armrest of the dais that she's sitting on. And she just grabs it up and shoots him with some kind of energy that knocks him out. She attempts to perform surgery on him in the final battle that he was in just previous to when he 
jumped to his death, his left eye was injured, and she um, is attempting to suss out that he's okay, but also to fix his eye. While that's going on, she's talking to the board of directors of Earth, who have okayed, and I guess given the money, given the um, equipment, whatever, you know, whatever control they have over her, to allow her to find someone for the cause that they are trying to uh, undertake, and she has picked Torin. Now, there is um, a little bit of um, questioning by the board of directors that she went all the way back and picked someone who, in essence, was a barbarian. They figured, I guess, she would pick someone a little bit more modern from what I take, you know, reading the entire book. It'll be a few pages before that is kind of revealed, but ultimately, that's what it is. She she is been tasked with finding a, a a great fighter and a great potentially leader of men and she dips all the way back to the Roman invasion of England and pulls a Celt uh, out of the ether to lead in this uh, past 20th century earth that she is on so they're not they're not too keen on how that's going to work out but they 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 give her enough leash give her enough rope to to let it go. Torn wakes up and realizes that his eye has been um, fixed, but the the eye isn't healed. He, he cannot see out of his left eye. So he jumps up, but before he does, she starts showing him some things on the view screen that are his life. Uh, he sees his birth being raised on the steps, uh, meeting his wife, Gwyneth, his baby, Bran, being born. I believe that was the baby's name. Let me look. Yeah, Bran sees him battling the Romans and sees the moment of his, the moment just before what would have been his death. But as I said, Tamra snatched him away from that so that, you know, that was the end of his existence because in history he died there. But now the reality is that he didn't truly die. He was taken uh, and transported to the future. So since he was kind of written off life's playbook, he was free to be used in this way, I, I suppose. And, and we've seen that kind of thing done before in other, other stories. Uh, all of that is a two-page spread, his life history, Torrens. Then the next two pages is a, a two-page spread, whereas Tamara is bringing him up to speed. And what happened is the earth was polluted, uh, toxic waste, atmosphere polluted, limits of breathability, population growth out of control, uh, pretty much all the things we got going on now. Um, at that time, interstellar travel was impractical, so Earth scientists turned to our own solar system. The atmospheric conditions on most planets was less hospitable than even Earth, so the colonists were genetically altered to adapt to life on their new worlds. So depending on where they were chosen to colonize, humans were genetically outfitted to be able to exist, um, thrive, I guess, in those environments. We have a little panel here of four individuals, and they all look very, very different from what typical humanoid is. One one here is pretty close, but we can see that, yeah, there was a lot of genetic manipulation to get from us to these, these uh, species. In the millennia that followed, the new confederacy solar system planets prospered and grew until all the habitable worlds had been colonized. Then the unexpected happened. The sun, the constant engine of light and energy that gives life itself, began to die, and it, it went nova and uh, absorbed mercury, um, 
fried Venus to a crisp, which there were colonists on Venus. And uh, the big problem, though, was in going Nova, it, well, I mean, it, it grew, but also it got cooler. So a lot of the farther out colonies were unable to survive because of the lack of solar energy that was reaching them now. So they started moving in and war started. Um, we have Pluto and Neptune are devoid of life. Mars and her satellites battle Io, and the Titans are at work on an armada bent on taking everything or destroying it. The circle is tightening, and at its center, Earth. So that's where we are. There are uh, the there were colonies on Pluto and Neptune, and they're gone. Mars and several of the moons of Mars battle Io, which I believe is another moon of Mars, and then the colony on Titan, which is what is that? A moon of Jupiter or Saturn, I believe. One of the uh, uh, Jupiter, maybe. Anyway, so a lot of the and and as we know, a lot of the planets uh, were not necessarily the most hospitable, but perhaps I guess they set up a lot of colonies on satellites of our planets. But what has occurred now is that in preparation for defending Earth, the board of directors of Earth felt that they needed a, a leader, a hero, and they charged Tamra with finding him. And she did, hopefully, in Torrent. She then introduces him to Sam, who is the symbionic, not symbiotic, but symbionic android mind link. She says he's a mobile microcomputer. He will be, Sam will be Torin's guide slash link to everything that is current century and all the knowledge that they have on, on everything. And to facilitate this, she made Torin a special headband that is a um, mental link a cybernetic link to Sam. When Torn puts it on, he gets bombarded with too much energy and immediately decides that it's not going to work. But here, a little bit later on in the story, he changes his mind. She then introduces him to uh, uniform and weapons, and the uniform is interesting. Uh, he puts it on, but then because it is so revealing, uh, in the end, it looks like he puts on a bodysuit and then puts on this armor over top of it, which consists of a uh, a bodice piece is that what's called a bodice the uh, no not a bodice is the um cod piece um made out of plates or ringlets of armor much like red sonia wears but um more also in the style of cameo's uh red cod piece uh, hanging out um a blaster of some sort on one hip a Sheath for a rapier on the other hip and a almost like a bandolier uh, going across his chest. And that's it. Now, it was on a dummy, um, and the dummy was wearing a bodysuit. So he grabs it and tries it. And, of course, Tamara likes it because it's showing uh, much of Torin. But uh, by the end of the book, in the final scene that has him, he is wearing a body piece much like was on the mannequin that she had all of these items resting on to begin with. We find that his sword is special also. It runs off of the energy that the atoms in his body uh, provide called Curlian, uh, the Curlian aura, the electrical energy within your own body. And it, it allows the metal to be uh, much stronger than normal. 
after all of this um, introducing is done as far as who he is and Sam and his his uh, affectations and his weapons, armor, all of that stuff, the board of directors decide that they want to test him. So they send a trio of former uh, human species things that are being experimented on to see if they can be changed back to their more traditional human genetics. Uh, actually, they're being experimented on by Tamra. And they send a group of them to attack Torin and Tamra, and they uh, they dispatch them. Uh, the one final piece that Tamra gives Torin is a favor, a lady's favor, and it's a a metal band that he wears just below his shoulder on his upper bicep on his right arm, which I'm assuming is going to be. Um, let's see, is that his sword arm? Yeah. Yeah, so he's got, and I'm sure, I, I apologize, I should have done a little bit more research. I'm sure there's a name for that, but it is what it is. It's a metal band that he wears uh, as her favor on his upper bicep on his right arm. So call it what you will. After the attack, she shows Torin one last thing, and it is the Jolly Roger, which is a spaceship that is solar wind-driven has sails uh, like a pirate ship. And the last image is him standing at a rather um, stylized captain's wheel steering the ship. Sam on his shoulder, this mm, pirate eye patch headband on all of his weapons, the bodysuit, and Tamara standing behind him. Which I haven't mentioned. Tamara is wearing uh, what actually amounts to today would be a bathing suit. Um, this this whole time, and that's just that appears to be just her standard dress. So I guess in the future, clothing is more optional than required at, at this point in the future. And so that ends the uh, introduction, actually, of Star Slayer as of uh, Torin MacQuillan as the Star Slayer. So we've been introduced to his uh, second mate Tamra, his assistant Sam. He carries a blaster. He has a special sword. I'm sure this armband that he wears as Tamara's favor will have some sort of micro equipment in it. And he's got that headband with the special eye patch that covers his one bad eye that allows him to um, cybernetically be linked to Sam. Now, this also had a uh, six-page, one, two, three, four, five, six. Yes, six-page introduction to. Probably one of the longer, if not longest, uh, and that is saying with Gru in mind also, characters uh, that were introduced in Pacific Comics. And in the second issue of Star Slayer is the first chapter of The Rocketeer that is brought to us, scripted, penciled, inked, and lettered by Mr. Dave Stevens. Um, this story in Star Slayer didn't have a title for the story. This Rocketeer uh, is just entitled Chapter 1, this story. However, before we get into that, let's take a look here. The page before the Rocketeer story starts is a letters page for Pacific Comic Net for Star Slayer specifically, and it has letters from Andreas Morales, Rob Bowman, James Smith, Dale L. Coe, Gary Yee, Kyle Jones, and Kevin Acker, if any of those names mean anything to anybody. Uh, three multi-line letters, and then five that were five lines or less, um, all the way down to just a couple lines. 
So, but three, three were, you know, went into some, some depth about what they thought, what they were trying to express. All right. Looking at page 27 of my issue here. Um, also, I apologize. Let me back up one more time as I'm thinking about it. The Star Slayer story can be found reprinted in the 95 Valiant slash Acclaim Star Slayer series, issue number three that came out in 1995. And Star Slayer was collected by Dark Horse in 2017. So this second issue is available uh, via both of those avenues. Now, this Rocketeer story has been reprinted several times as well. It's been reprinted in 85 and 86 in Eclipse Comics Rocketeer series that was put out. In 2009, IDW put out the Complete Adventures Deluxe Edition for the Rocketeer. They also put out the Complete Adventures uh, of the Rocketeer in 2009. So I'm assuming that was a standard trade, probably, uh, as opposed to the Deluxe Edition, which was probably hardcover. And then in 2010, IDW released this story as part of a handful of stories released in Artists Edition Number 1, Dave Stevens' The Rocketeer. Boy, with Dave Stevens' art, that would have to be something to be able to get a hold of. That'd be awesome. I um, I purchased some equivalent books that Boom uh, put out for some of their books, uh, equivalent to Artist Edition. They, they weren't quite the same. They were soft cover, uh, large size like that. And each one contained two issues of the book they were talking about. Um, there was one for George Perez. There was one for Dan Mora. Mm, they put out about five or six. I forget what other artists were. Well, well yeah, I, mainly it would be for the art. But of course, the story was there as well. So I, I guess it would be good for the writer. But no, it, it was it was designed mainly for the, the eyeballs. I believe they called it uh, black and white. So I've got some of those. I also have a couple for Usagi Ojimbo, who is my all-time favorite character. Uh, Mr. Stan Sakai, some artist edition books that he's done. And those are the only ones that I have. They are, um, in my mind, they're a little pricey to just have to look at. So I, I have to really, really pick and choose which ones I want. Okay, enough of me. We open with a police chase. The year is 1938, and Los Angeles is about to meet the Rocketeer, we're told. The chase crashes through the gates at an airfield, zooming, zipping around. A coupe stops behind a particular hangar, and the driver leaps out. Quick in here! Uh, somebody steps out of the hangar and directs the driver. But the police, they'll see the car. We'll be caught. No, look, one of the racing planes. They'll never catch us in that. Come on, hurry it up. All right, we're all set. What's your rush, pal? Well, the two officers who have drawn down on these two men have them at gunpoint are saying, uh, we were just having a little fun. Oh, fun, huh? Doing 60 in a 25 zone and now stealing a speed plane. So the two men are arrested and taken out. And as they're leaving the hangars, they're being escorted out of the hangar. Another gentleman comes running up and says, officer, my name's Cliff Secord. Ah, we know who that is. I rent that hangar. What's all the trouble? Caught these birds stealing that stubby plane. Stubby? That's my plane. They didn't hurt it, kid. We didn't give them enough time. So Secord goes running in and checking out his plane, and as he jumps up to the cockpit to look in, he sees that there's a package in there. He grabs the package, and unwrapped, it reveals a compact bullet-shaped engine and a packet of papers bearing the stamp top secret. 
after looking through everything, we see Secord say, wow, this little thing does 200 miles per? And he's thinking like manna from heaven. And he comes up with an idea. He's a little strapped for cash. He's a little strapped. There we go. For cash. Uh, So he decides that he's going to use this rocket in an act uh, that he has at the air show uh, that goes off at this airport. So he's uh, he's going to need a helmet. He calls a buddy of his, Peavy, to design a helmet. And uh, Peavy comes in and, and needs more information. And so Cliff tells him, you know, all his plans and everything. And Peavy is still like, dude, that's, you know, that's government stuff. You need to give that back. You're going to get in trouble. And Cliff's like, no, I can't. This is this is my one chance to make a break and, and make some money. Uh, Betty, she says, I'm wasting my life just flying an air show. She wants me to grow up and make something of myself fast. And so it turns out um, that Cliff wants to impress Betty, who puts me in mind of that uh, pinup girl, Betty, Betty Page. That's her name. There we go. Takes me a minute sometime, guys. Sorry about that. Uh, but I, I don't remember. I've I've read all of Stevens' Rocketeer, and I, I believe that it was supposed to be Betty Page, but I don't remember now. But we'll we'll get into it a little bit. Maybe she'll show up here in the handful of Pacific Comics appearances that uh, the Rocketeer has before he moves on ultimately to uh, Eclipse Comics. I believe. Haven't read any of the more recent current IDW stuff. I, I read. Rocketeer because of Dave Stevens' art. Uh, he is his art is just spectacular. So uh, when it when I found out that they were doing it, I, I liked the Rocketeer enough. But without Dave Stevens' art, I just thought, nah, it's not not going to be the same. So uh, sorry, I, I digress, as Taz says. So the next morning at the air show, Cliff arrives late. The show's gone on without him, but with bad luck at the stick. So we find out that Malcolm has taken the plane up that. Cliff usually flies to do some, you know, shenanigans to impress the crowd. And someone who's listening in here to Malkin says, hey, Cliff, it sounds like he's plastered. And so Cliff runs off nuts to this. I'm not going to have his death on my conscience. I'm getting the rocket. I ought to have my head examined. I haven't even tested this thing yet. And this this final page, man, of this first chapter is just awesome. Cliff runs to his car and gets in the trunk puts on a jacket and he's already got pants on, puts the backpack on his back and puts the helmet on. And the the backpack is controlled by controllers on his hands. And uh, there's a two-third page panel here of him whooshing off after Malkin to try to save him. And that image with the, the helmet and the jacket and everything and him flying, that is just an awesome, awesome image. Inside back cover is an ad for Captain Victory and the Galactic Rangers. And then the back cover is an ad for, starting this issue, careening through the sky and out of these pages comes The Rocketeer by Dave Stevens. Here's excitement dished out in brutal chunks back when the teeth of justice bit deep into the throat of crime. Come on, man. That I mean, that just sells it right there. It, yeah, this is uh, pulpy goodness at its best. Thank you, Mr. Stevens, for that. All right, guys, uh, that is issue two of Star Slayer. We had the second chapter of the Star Slayer story himself um, about Torn McQuillan, and we were introduced to Tamara and Sam, who are going to be his second and uh, companion, I guess, of some sort in his adventures aboard the Jolly Roger. And the first chapter of 
Dave Stevens' opus, uh, The Rocketeer, introduced to Cliff Secord and Peavy, with some mention of Betty and Malkin and uh, Mr. Bigelow in there, but Cliff Secord and Peavy. Cliff, of course. Uh, spoiler is The Rocketeer, for those of you that don't know that. Alrighty, guys. Next time up, it looks like I have scheduled a read-through of Aracel's Samurai issue number three. I'll talk to you guys next time. Ciao.